trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Well, I think it's only natural that you would have the expectation that your pastors uh, have some degree of wisdom and uh, live in a way that they hear the voice of God. And that's true sometimes, and other times it's not so true. Uh, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine here at Peachtree, she fainted after the first service. And uh, I went down, to, went down to check on her, and the EMTs had, had looked her over, and they really couldn't find anything wrong with her. But they said, you know, you, you really should go to the hospital just to, just to make sure. And she didn't really want to do that because she said, I just don't really want to pay $1,800 for this ambulance ride. And so I said, okay, I'll take you for half that. <laughs> and, um, and I took her to the hospital and uh, hung out with her for a couple hours. And, and sure enough, she was, she was fine. And um, so I left the hospital that day feeling, you know, feeling good about myself. I'd, I was compassionate and uh, took time to care for someone, felt like you know, God had prompted me to do that, and I did it. So 48 hours later, I'm back over there, same, same place, and my mother-in-law had had some surgery, and I leave the hospital, and I go, and I get in my car in the parking lot, and I decide that, um, you know, I'm going to check my email before I start driving. And so I'm looking at my email, and I, I hear, kind of hear a horn blow, um, and didn't pay much attention. Then I, then I hear it blow again, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I can see a car, and I realize that this guy is wanting me to move. You know where this is going, don't you? And, um, and so I'm, you know, of course, at that point, I don't want to move. And I realize that um, there's also an open parking space right on the other side. But he's focused in on me moving and blowing his horn, and so we... We waited out, and, and finally, he pulls into, the other, pulls into the other spot. It's not over yet. So, so then, as I start to pull away, I let my window down, and he's getting out of his car, and I said, why couldn't you just take the spot? And he says, well, I didn't see it. And I roll my window up, and I pull away, and as I do... I look in my rearview mirror just to make sure there's not one of those peach tree decals on his car. <laughs> I mean, what's up with that? How can 48 hours you go from being this compassionate person, uh, trying to hear God's, God's voice, to being just another angry voice in the parking lot? Well, as we were saying, we're living in this age of information, but we are not living in an age of wisdom. You know, wisdom is often defined as taking knowledge and then using it uh, to, in our lives to make our lives better. However, I, I think a better thought of true wisdom is that it's the acquisition of knowledge and the, and the ability to live out and be the people that God called us to be. I like Mark Laberton's definition of wisdom. He says that wisdom is the truth and character of God lived in context. You see, real wisdom is not about acquiring 
more information or the ability to use it. Real wisdom is about hearing God's voice above all the other competing voices in our lives. It's the ability, ability to experience a relationship with God in such a way that we conform our lives to his way. It's really the ability to follow Jesus in real time in our lives. So as we think about hearing God's voice this morning and gaining wisdom, I want to ask you three fundamental questions. The first is, am I really open to God's wisdom? The second is, am I intentionally listening for God's wisdom? And then finally, am I actually ready to respond to God's wisdom? And now let's hear God's wisdom from the book of Proverbs, the second chapter. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Am I really open to God's wisdom? Am I really open to, as the Proverbs said, accepting his words? You see, being open to accepting the word of God is really a prerequisite to gaining wisdom. I think it's safe to say that we value the virtue of open-mindedness. We like to feel like we're open-minded to learning new things, to accepting people that are different from us. We're open-minded to new ideas, but are we open-minded when it comes to accepting the Word of God? One of the most interesting aspects of Christianity as it's practiced in 2019 is that I believe that too often we treat our faith as sort of a buffet. You know how you go through the buffet line and you choose the things that you like and you skip the things that you don't like. And I think a lot of times our spiritual plates look a little bit more like uh, they're kind of filled with dessert, but we've sort of skipped over some of the vegetables. And we decide on whether we're going to accept the words of God based on are they supportive of our opinion and are they popular with our friends. On a regular basis, I hear followers of Christ say this phrase, well, I just don't agree with that. As if we are reading a political candidate's platform or as if we're just listening to the current winds of culture or our favorite celebrity or what we've heard online. If Jesus conflicts with those, then we say, well, I just don't agree with that. He must be wrong. But of course, his words have always been a challenge. If you remember the story of when Jesus tried to explain that he was the bread of life and he talked about eating his body and drinking his blood, those that were following him said, oh, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And the story tells us that a good number of them 
They just walked away at that moment. They turned their back. Since they didn't get it, they quickly moved on. They didn't wait around to be taught and to experience the Last Supper when it all came together. Jesus asked the 12 that remained what they thought, and Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter accepted the words of Christ even when the teaching was hard. Buffet Christianity is based on what Alan Noble describes in his book, Disruptive Witness, as a thin belief. In our culture, we have a lot of thin beliefs. They are beliefs that aren't really made based on careful study or prayerful consideration, but they're simply made on how will this belief impact my image. Because we hold these thin beliefs, we can easily pick them up and discard them if we feel like they're negative. In this line of thinking, the primary question is not really, am I open to God, but will being associated with Christianity be beneficial to me? As an example, in a thin belief culture, uh, we wouldn't so much focus on the validity of the resurrection, but will being a Christian improve my image or make me more popular? You see this all the time on social media. People grab on to some thin belief, some cause. They, they like the hashtag or they like being a part of it, and they, they defend it and they attack people that challenge them. And they do that because they like being associated with that particular movement and the way it affects their image. But a thin belief mindset is counter to the thought that what if God actually has a broader perspective than we do? What if the creator of the universe can see past our current cultural moment? What if there is something going on, just like the story of the bread and blood, that's well beyond what we can see right now. A thin belief mindset is focused on how do we improve our image, not on how do we reflect his image. And that's why I asked the question, are you really open-minded for God's wisdom? In short, are you listening for God or are you just looking to confirm what you already believe? One way to test this is to think about your beliefs and think, when is the last time that you accepted the words of God when they conflicted with your friends or with a celebrity or your political party? Have you done that? God isn't calling us to thin beliefs that manage our image. He is calling us to be conformed to to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Don't just accept his words as true when it's convenient or when it's popular or when it's profitable, but accept his words when they're challenging, when they're controversial, and when they're costly.
The beginning of wisdom is the, be is the willingness to accept his words, to be willing to have our minds and our hearts changed, to believe that his thoughts may be beyond our thoughts, to really mean those words that we pray each week, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This kind of openness is what Ruth Haley Barton describes as the prayer of indifference. She says that we often pray for wisdom while we are already attached to some kind of outcome that we think best. When we have become indifferent to our need to be seen as wise in the eyes of others, we are ready to receive wisdom from God. Being open-minded toward God is indeed the beginning of wisdom. Now, if we're open to God, we have to ask ourselves the second question, am I intentionally listening for him? However, we find it very difficult to listen to God in our current lives of distraction. Our frenetic multitasking lives make it nearly impossible to hear the voice of God. How often have you been talking to your children or your spouse and you can tell that they're ignoring you? Do your conversations look anything like this? That's why I always tell people, you have to be careful who you marry because this is the person you're going to watch stare at their phone for the rest of your life. In his book, The Organized Mind, Stanley Levitin writes that multitasking has been found to increase the production of the stress hormone cortisol as well as the fight or flight hormone adrenaline, which can overstimulate your brain and cause a mental fog or scramble thinking. Multitasking creates a dopamine addiction feedback loop, effectively rewarding the brain for losing focus and for constantly searching for external stimulation. To make matters worse, the prefrontal cortex has a novelty bias, meaning that its attention can easily be hijacked by something new, the proverbial shiny object that we use to entice infants, puppies, and kittens. In other words, you may be good at multitasking, but multitasking is not good for you. As I was reading that quote last week, uh, my phone was buzzing with a WhatsApp message from someone on the other side of the world, and then it buzzed again almost immediately with a text message from a friend, and then another text message from my wife because she had forgotten the grocery list, and she wanted me to take a picture of it and text it back to her. And at that point, I decided if I was ever going to get this sermon done, I better put the phone in another room. A couple of years ago, someone asked me for recommendations on, they said, what is the best book for someone that's starting in ministry on really how to do ministry? And I said, well, I would say the best book for doing ministry in Atlanta is a book called Water Dog. It's sort of an iconic book about training Labrador retrievers. And its premise is that they can't pay attention for more than 15 minutes that a puppy's attention span is only 15 minutes, and then you have to move on to something else. Comparing our attention span to puppies is probably really not fair to lab puppies. <laughs> Into this reality, we ask you to listen to a 27-minute sermon. 
And we ask you to devote your time to reading scripture and to quiet prayer, which is directly in conflict with our distracted and multitasking minds. Listening for the still, small voice of God is so difficult in our culture. There is just no space when we're constantly trying to do multiple things, checking email, texting, or counting our likes. I can't even, we can't even attend a college football game anymore without our phone, without being online. I read that uh, Notre Dame did a, did a big redo of their stadium a couple years ago, and they put, out, put in 1,096 new Wi-Fi access points. And guess what? During the Georgia game a couple years ago, they set a record with 6.2 terabytes of fan Wi-Fi traffic during the game. And I know some of you were there, and I can't believe even that game could not hold your attention. You had to be online. Teams believe that if fans can't access Wi-Fi eventually, their attendance will go down. It's why some of us don't attend services in this room, because we, we feel out of sorts if we have to be in here for an hour and we can't be checking our phone. That's the first thing most of us are going to do as soon as the closing hymn is over is we're out to check our phone, me included. Richard Foster writes that distraction is the primary spiritual problem in contemporary culture. Frankly, when we are perpetually distracted, we are unable to discern the voice of the Lord. As you saw in the video, this week was the 76th Rutledge. And I know there's people in this room of all ages that have heard God's voice at Rutledge. Now, I don't think that's because of the scenic views. And I don't think it's because God just speaks more in really hot, buggy, dirty environments. I think the reason is because when we take away all the distractions and our students put away their phones, they are able to hear God's voice. Dallas Willard writes that the still, small voice of God is the primary way that God communicates to people who are in harmony with his will. The still, small voice is basically God speaking to us through our thoughts. It's the Spirit working in our mind and in our heart. And this is where Scripture is so critical because Scripture allows us to test our thoughts, to see if the random ideas that come in our mind are actually God or something else. Because we know that God will not lead us to do something that contradicts Scripture. He won't contradict himself. Hearing that still small voice is something that occurs when we're in a conversational relationship with him. The times when I have most clearly experienced God's voice have been through that still small voice in my thoughts. Most of the time it's leading me to make a decision or where whether I feel like maybe I've had a had a good idea and uh, I, I come to recognize it as a still small voice or when I'm reading 
an often read piece of scripture and I noticed something that I haven't noticed before. When we get past our distractions, we're able to hear our Father's voice and then we're able to try to imitate him. That's what I was wondering. I don't know what they're going to do next season because they did some stuff this time. Exactly what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, don't bring that in. You know what I'm saying? Don't do the same stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, go somewhere else with that, but don't break it here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. And he was like, ah, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, what in the world? But don't do it here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? I thought the same thing. <laughs> we think a lot alike, huh? I love that kid. But that's the way it is, right? We're trying to learn to hear the Father's voice and learn to imitate him. And that brings us to the final question. Am I actually ready to respond? Honestly, I don't have any trendy answers in how to uh, move away from technology and listen to God's voice. Jesus hasn't really kept up with the times. There's not a still small voice app that you can download. Um, but simply put, if we want to hear God's voice, we have to be willing to turn down the volume on the other competing voices in our lives. So I want to share four things that I'm trying and um, because this is, a, this is a challenge for me as well. The first is to say no. We have to create space in our lives to hear God. We have to stop being a victim of busyness. Our mission is to join Christ daily in the restoration of all things. But if we're honest, a lot of our mission is adding Christ occasionally to too many things. And we have to be willing to say no, even when a lot of the things we say no to are good. The second is what I call the slide rule. This is something that I discovered a couple of years ago. Uh, I read an article and a guy suggested that if, you ha if you're addicted to checking your email, uh, this is a great way to overcome that. And I'm addicted to checking my email. The first thing I do when I pick up my phone, just like Pavlov's dog, is I check my email. And so I decided I was going to try it on vacation. And basically, I slide the email icon on my iPhone to the back page. And so then when I pick up my phone, it causes me to think before I would scroll back and check my email. And it's made a big difference in me uh, in not checking my email when I don't, when I don't want to. So I would, get, I would encourage you to try that this summer. The third is silence. Our, vo our lives are just filled with noise, with all kinds of noise. And we need to find opportunities to just be quiet. 
I like to listen to sports talk radio. And so I decided I was going to stop listening to sports talk radio on the way to work. They don't talk much about the national champs on the Atlanta stations anyway, so it doesn't bother me that much. But I just decided I'm going to stop listening because it gives me just a little bit of peace and quiet on the way to work. And the last is Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath, taking the Sabbath on Sunday doesn't work very well for us for obvious reasons. We're a little busy on Sunday. So Rebecca and I have been trying to do that on Friday and Saturday. And really what we do is just, um, we just, we just read books. Uh, we take a walk at the river. Uh, we stay away from our phone. We stay away from social media. It's what the church fathers called holy leisure. It's just a time to just be quiet and get yourself centered again. I'm trying to do this because I want to be able to hear the voice of God, whether, whether it's something profound or whether it's something trivial. I don't want to miss what he might want to say to me. As many of you know, uh, Rebecca and I lost our first child. And uh, after that, and she, Rebecca was expecting with our second child, and we had a lot of really difficult complications, just incredibly stressful time in our lives, uh, really just some miraculous circumstances with the birth of our daughter. And after we went through both of those, um, Rebecca wanted to have another baby. I, on the other hand, was too fearful. I was like, okay, I've been there and done that twice, and, and I, don't, I don't need to do that again. And so she kept talking about it, and I kept pushing her off. And, and uh, finally, she said something that really wasn't fair. She said, are you praying about it? Well, I wasn't. And um, a few weeks later, I went to this large men's event in Washington. And while I was there, um, one of the speakers said they wanted to have a time where you could just pray for things that you needed to ask forgiveness for, for things that you had ways you had wronged your wife. And what popped into my mind is, well, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, I, you know, like I've, I've been faithful. I've never abused my wife. This part, this part's kind of not for me. And then I heard that still small voice so clear. You're not praying about having another baby. And I committed to do that and actually shared it with the guys that I was with. And uh, it wasn't long before we were expecting, and that was 20 years ago, and brought me one of the great blessings of my life, a son. And on that day, I was able to hear God's voice because I was open and because I was listening. And I wonder how many blessings I have missed through the years because I was too distracted. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's where it really matters, following him. After Rutledge is over, after whatever experience we've had is over, it's following him a couple of months later when our image is at risk or when it contradicts something that's popular. That's when we can really reveal the wisdom of God in our lives. And I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live my life. I want to be open, I want to listen, and I want to respond. I want to be that kind of person. 
I don't want to be the kind of person that's staring someone down in a parking lot. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do still speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you will give us the grace to move the things out of our lives that distract us from you, to listen, to respond to you, so that we can indeed be the people that you've called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.